0: Hello, everybody, welcome to the Team Nova Nordis podcast. I'm Zaylan Fanek, head of social media at Team Nova Nordis. With me now is Tim Lindley. Tim is the press officer. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Zaylan, How are you? Very good, thank you. Where do
1: you find yourself today? In the moment, I'm sat just overlooking the Aegean Sea uh, on the island of Crete getting ready to start the the Hellas tour tomorrow. We've actually done Greece a few times
0: this season. This is sort of the last time we're there in that block. And when you were there a few weeks ago, the weather wasn't so kind, was it? What is it like this time around?
1: Well, we were on roads last time on the island in there throughout March for three weeks of racing and training, and it was extremely windy as it can be down there in early spring. But uh, today, completely different. No wind, it's already up to 20 degrees. Um, So for most of the buyers coming down from Northern Europe, uh, this is a welcome change.
0: Yeah, I've just returned from the Tour of Turkey with the team. Um, The weather was kind to us over there. Very good vibe in the team. Andrea got a top 10, which was one of the objectives on a stage. We got into a breakaway with Umberto Poli. Um, Really, really nice time, you know, well-organized race, beautiful along the coastline and yeah, Things going well with the team in the camp this year. And what's your perception with the team that you have there at the moment?
1: Again, it's pretty pretty much a very similar lineup to Turkey. They're going to be revolving around Andrea uh, and David Lotano and possibly Peter Custor. It's a, it's a very hilly horse, Um especially here on Crete. Like it tops out at nearly 2,000 metres altitude here on the island. And then when we head over to the mainland, that's going to be up and down as well, aggressive racing. Um, some big teams here as well, Trek-Segafredo, Trek, Human Powered Health. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. But as you mentioned earlier, with Andrea getting a top ten in Turkey, that's like his fourth or fifth of the year already. Uh, and I believe there was an interesting statistic there that you uncovered in Turkey. That's his fiftieth career top ten. Um, so he's also really positive this year.
0: Yeah, very very consistent in the sprints, and yeah, we hope for more of the same. Um, in Greece, so we'll check in again and see how the race has gone there. But the focus on this episode is one Sam Brand. As I mentioned, I've just returned from Turkey and I had an opportunity to sit down with Sam after one of the stages and actually talk to him about his life, how he got into cycling. His parents had a big impact on that, and Sam was actually diagnosed on World Diabetes Day. Um, which is always an interesting story. So we unpack that a little bit. So without further ado, I think, Tim, let's jump into it and hear from Sam Brand. Sam Brand, thanks so much for joining me today.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: I guess let's start at the beginning. Where is Sam Brand from?
2: Oh, where is Sam from from? Great question. I'm from a small island in the middle of the Irish Sea, the Isle of Man. Um, Super proud place, very proud to be from there. So that's home and uh, lived there all my life.
0: In cycling circles, uh, we probably know Mark Cavendish from there, Peter Kenyag, those kind of guys. Did you grow up with them?
2: Yeah, so um, I sort of grew up around the cycling circle anyway because my parents were both involved. My dad organized a lot of races um and marshals and all that sort of stuff so uh pete's the same age as my brother uh we grew up sort of in and out of similar circles so um i wouldn't say i know them all super well but we're all you know from a small island and you tend to know most people so yeah i mean it's it's a great place and and yeah you, you mix in similar circles
0: oh it's amazing how many sports people the little island has produced there. Is is sport just part of the culture then
2: yeah i think uh there's it's such a small place that um at school and growing up you get buried into sport which is fantastic you know but uh that provides a a level of competitiveness and um in honesty with i mean it doesn't sound bad but there's not much else to do so you kind of just get stuck into the sport and you find one that you like whereas for me it took me a bit longer than most people to find the one that i like but um uh i just try my hand at everything and that's what sort of breeds this success, I guess, because um, we want to prove, as I said before, that we're proud people and being a proud person, being a proud community, you're going to give 110% all of the time. And I think that shines through in all our sporting achievements. So what are some of those
0: sports you tried in the early days?
2: Growing up, it was everything, you know, I I did athletics, uh, I was playing football, which was predominantly my main sport growing up, um, basketball, cricket. Um, rugby at school, you know, it was absolutely everything, some field hockey, I, I used to love everything and we played table tennis a lot of times, I remember in primary school, me and my brother used to beat everybody in table tennis, so it was fantastic and again, bringing my brother into it, being 18 months older, uh, I had a really strong competitive nature early on, you know, I just wanted to beat my brother, so that sort of stand me in good stead.
0: Now, Often when um, athletes become professionals and you learn their life stories, you discover that they did excel in other sports as well just because they're so talented. So, would you say were you any good at football? That seems to have been your favorite. Um, soccer for the Americans yeah. listening,
2: soccer, yeah. Well, um, I would say I was it's it's hard to, to discuss your own sport and achievements, but yeah, I mean, I played um, the highest level of Manx football, I played for the senior Isle of man team, I played junior Isle of man team, in fact, under 18. Isle of Man team, we got to the semi-final of the uh, Counties Cup, which is basically against all the counties of uh, England, so uh, we beat London on that run, we went into the semi-final and lost on penalties, so uh, we had a, a really great sort of era in my sort of age growing up, um, I probably would say that I did excel at most of the stuff I put my hand to, and that I feel that it's driven a lot from maybe the diabetes side, just trying to prove people wrong, but also myself trying to prove myself wrong. You know, always my own worst enemy, but also know that that's what drives me. What's what I want to do to be successful is to just push myself and I get that out of sport every day.
0: So how old were you when you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes? Were you playing football in
2: so it was just a case of uh, I was in the last year of uh, primary school I don't know what that would be equated to around the world but um, it was the last year of like sort of infant school and then you move up to senior high school um, I was doing everything at school at that point I mean I was running the smaller events at like obviously at 10 years old when I was diagnosed you don't have a huge amount of competitive sport it's all kind of like just trying to hand at everything but I was captain of the cricket team at school cra- uh, played football I was yeah I was goalkeeper at that point and all the way through um yeah I was in every single sports team at school so I guess yeah it was a big part of my life even early on and watching my dad train for triathlon and watching my mum be active on the bike and everything that kind of they instilled this sort of this idea of sport in me and it's something that I'm so grateful for, but I just enjoy it. You know, I enjoy being on the field, on the court, wherever it is, whatever it is, I'll do it.
0: What was the diabetes management at that that age, let's say from like 10 years old to 18 years old, when when you're playing sports at that level?
2: You know, in that period between 10 and 18, diabetes globally changed, I believe for me anyway, from my perspective, because I was actually diagnosed at 10 on World Diabetes Day. So the 14th of November, 2001, you know, it's almost like a sign like it was meant to be. And whether I would have said that at the time, or I don't really know what diabetes was. And I guess we're all fall into that sort of situation a lot. And that's where I get a sort of a pride out of showing what it is, what we do and how we do it. That's sort of something that drives me, but, during that age of 10 to 18, um, it's almost a rebellion, I guess, to a certain extent, because I think everybody goes through a phase of diabetes where it's not the easiest thing and it's not the, the thing that's fashionable for want of a better phrase. Um, but that eight years stood me really well in terms of life choices, in terms of um, how I look after myself, how I manage myself, and I learned a lot overnight. We were given this condition of diabetes, we as my family. And at 10 years old, it's something that you can't really do on your own. And my parents jumped on board. They were so positive. Uh, the diabetes support team on the Isle of Man was incredible. Um, and I remember at 10 being diagnosed with something I didn't really understand. I guess that put me in a better place because Google isn't what it is now. So <laughs> my parents weren't able to go online and just like understand and read every single story, whether that's a good or bad story. You know, you tend to. The Google doctor tends to not be the greatest and um, my parents were just watching the news and when uh, the day before they were talking about World Diabetes Day the next day and that's kind of where they saw the symptoms of diabetes. So I was lucky in a certain respect that it was that day because then I was able to understand through sort of national media what was going on. Um, But I don't really think even now, looking back on that day, I don't even think I really fully understood what was happening. I guess that would have been too overwhelming. So like growing through 10 to 18, it was just a case of taking every day by every day. And you come up against a lot of walls in terms of like ignorance. Um, I'm fortunate in my job that I get to give talks to youngsters, to parents of kids with type 1 diabetes, parents maybe have diabetes themselves. And I get to tell them that, you know, ignorance isn't your fault. Ignorance isn't the kid's fault. Ignorance isn't the person with type 1 diabetes fault. It's the ignorance of the person who is ignorant. So given being able to sort of show them that what they're doing is correct, they haven't done anything wrong, and that ignorance is somebody else's problem and that's something that they don't have to deal with. So that's really humbling and I enjoy that situation.
0: How did your diagnosis come about? Did you have the classic symptoms?
2: So yeah, I had very classic symptoms, increased thirst, weight loss, um, going to the toilet every sort of five minutes, and the five minutes in between, I was drinking sort of two liters of water, so yeah, no standard, um, standard sort of symptoms of type 1 diabetes, and that's kind of where it led me to, and I remember my mom calling the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, I probably won't be. At that point, I was the only one in school, and then going into high school, there was no one else, so it was a really sort of infrequent or sort of low condition in terms of not many people had it at that point. And now in the last sort of 10, 15 years, you do notice that there's a lot more, especially young people with type one diabetes around. So it's kind of, um, I talk about a story that, um, I like to mentor, um, people who have similar, like young children who I can sort of help and guide through things. So I like to do that kind of mentoring side and, um, I was uh, look speaking to um, a young chap in the Isle of Man and uh, he said that when, well, first of all, when I was at school, like I said, there was no one, but he said he was diagnosed two three months ago and he's one of four in his class and his year is split into two classes. So in his class of 30, there's four people with type 1 diabetes. So it's something that you notice is on the rise, I guess, but it's also something that's more apparent in this day and age.
0: So if you didn't have that where some of your peers also had type one diabetes, were they aware of it? Is it something you hid, or were you open about it, or it was just it, it didn't matter, it was what you had and, and that's what it
2: was? A bit of both. I mean it's something that I had, but I mean honestly from day one I was probably quite proud of it. It's something that um stood out, you know, there was times where I tried to blend in, but as a character I don't really blend in, you know, I kind of speak my mind, I say as it is, but that's also my one of my greatest strengths, you know, like I, I, I like to talk about it, to talk about it gives me sort of an understanding more, it allows other people to understand more and I have a knowledge that I hope that can help other people without being sort of throwing it down people's throats. It's nice to be able to, to talk about it because then I get it more and then um, I can pass on the knowledge that I've learned and hopefully help other people. Um, like I said, when I was growing up, there wasn't really anyone. so. I was able to forge my own path. I think at some times it would have been nice to have someone. So that's what I get out of giving back through the platform I have now. If I can be that person that people say, oh, Sam's got it, he's a professional cyclist, he's racing around the world, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a physicist, astronaut, fighter jet pilot. You know, I want to empower people to want to be the best version of themselves. So if I can do anything that's a a chat, a talk, uh sit down in a community hall and give a talk to a hundred people, then that's something that I love to do because this platform isn't gonna last forever, but this platform is, a, is access for other people to be better versions of themselves, and that is really nice.
0: And then uh, getting back to your parents with them being cyclists slash triathletes when you're doing all these other sports, were they biased and trying to force you to head in that direction?
2: No, in fact, the total opposite. My dad always just sat back. I mean, I remember when he bought me a bike and one Christmas I was desperate for a road bike and he was threatening not to buy me it because I was being stubborn or something along those lines. And uh, anyway, it was supposed to be a birthday present. I was born in February and I ended up getting one for Christmas. That must have been something I did really, really wrong anyway, because I didn't get it for my birthday. I had to wait another 10 months. But um, it wasn't something that they really pushed me into um, it was not something that we'd even really discussed um, I used to, on the Isle of Man we got this fantastic uh, youth set up in cycling uh, a lady called Dot Tilbury and she organises a fantastic league on a Tuesday night and it was something that I used to go along to um, might do fairly well but it wasn't a sport that I naturally sort of picked up, it was probably the one sport where I didn't naturally get it early on, I, I could do it and I would finish in a good position but I would never be sort of winning and I guess that then made me step back and go to the sports that I was probably winning because it was probably without sounding I don't know big-headed it was probably the one that I didn't get the rest I would pick up fairly straight away so um, and that was like alongside the sort of the junior triathlons at that point Um, there weren't many opportunities maybe once a year but I would come top one top two every time so it's something that I'd be more natural at so I'd take my direction there, and my parents understood that, but also when you go into the Tuesday night cycling, there's not really much opportunity outside of that, so you go into everything on the Isle of Man that has your opportunity, but to progress it, you probably have to go off island or a bit more, and at that age, there were so many other influences of sport that it wasn't the one that I picked up on immediately.
0: So then when you enjoyed um, triathlon, you excelled at it. I mean, just quickly, what
2: were some of your highlights again? So, oh, highlights I did uh, two World Championships, one European Championship for Great Britain age group level, uh, second at the British Championships in 2015, uh, 2024. Um, Yeah, so that's probably some of my highlights. uh. So then how do you you, uh, move from that to cycling? Well, I got into, first of all, I got into triathlon more when I got to sort of 18, 19, I decided that I was going to go to university, uh, and I wanted to go to university and have the American dream almost, and this sort of idea that you go to university and it's all about the sport, and that's probably me being a bit lazy and not about the work. My parents probably would have had something different to say, but um, I, so I went to university and I saw, I've done a few junior triathlons, done really well, um, I'll go and see what I can do. And uh, within 12 to 16 months, I think I'd represented, I'd qualified to represent Great Britain at age group level. So it's something I picked up fairly naturally as well. Just couldn't swim very fast. But then making that step to my first world championships in 2013 in london i put a photo up on instagram uh, tagged changing diabetes and the team reached out and asked if i wanted to sort of be on the triathlon team at that point that's exactly what i wanted to do i'd heard of the team followed the team a little bit um but we're coming into the sort of the start of the social media sort of revolution so um i said yes i so would love to do it started on the elite team and that's kind of where i sort of embedded myself in team nova nordisk And I guess
0: in that environment, you were then exposed to cycling in a big way and high-level cyclists. How long did you compete in triathlon underneath the Team Nova Nordis banner?
2: Yeah, so, um, well, I always grew up watching all the big races with my parents. So it was always like Roubaix and like San Remo and all these races we used to sit down and watch. I mean, first year at uni, Cav won... um, in Denmark, in Copenhagen, the World Championship. So it was something that I remember FaceTime and my dad, we were watching it side by side. And at this point, I was still my first year of triathlon. So um, I sort of fell under the elite team, triathlon team, uh, Team Nova Nordisk banner for sort of the back end of 2014. Um, I did a a couple of outreach events in Britain for them. Um, And I remember some of the the, uh, Nova Nordisk, Employees in the UK saying, oh, are you going to be on the cycling team? I was like, oh, no, not really. I've got ambitions to do in triathlon. I did. I had huge ambitions sort of heading towards the end of 2014 into 2015. you know, the Commonwealth Games uh, in 2018, Gold Coast was a big sort of bucket list for me. And that's something that I was trying to push on to do coming into my final year of university. But when I first joined the team in 2014, I remember Phil Sutherland, CEO, co-founder of Team Nova Nordisk, He reached out and said, oh, Sam, I've seen you've applied for the elite team. Do you want to come and try the development team? And I asked a few questions. Basically, it was like, did, uh, (laughs) this makes me laugh every time. Did you want to um, sort of come out and try the development team in sort of 2014? And I said, well, the Tartan ID camp's in the middle of 2014. I'll be sort of coming to the end of, um, let me get this, yeah, end of my placement year at university. So my third year at uni. And I was like, well, I've got one year to go. Can I continue? And I, they were basically said no, um, which I understood. But I then thought, well, how long can this last? Can I make it? What's going to happen? And realistically, it wasn't a hard decision. I said, no, I, I can't do it this year. I'd love to continue on the on the triathlon team um, or start on the triathlon team, but I, I can't commit. And I think if I'd said yes, realizing now what I'm, I would have missed out on, I'd probably kick myself but also at the same time my parents probably would have given me a bigger kick in by just leaving and up in sticks and going after putting me through three years so um we decided that the next year i'd go out uh so uh i went to european championships then i came second at um the british championships and then i went out to america for what i thought was a support role at the Talent ID camp, being a bit older, 24. Uh, I was going out to America to help with the the pipeline, which is the, the Talent ID camp. Um, so I went out and then nothing. I just kicked the pedals around as hard as I could, sort of steady head, just tried to show people what I did. Uh, in terms of the outreach in Britain, a bit older, look after some of the youngsters. And then two months later, I was contacted by Dan Holt, the manager of the development team, asking if I wanted to, He's a contract, do you want to come out? I was like, well, just started a graduate scheme in Britain as a quantity surveyor. And uh, I said, I remember this email and it brings it full circle about my dad that you asked before. And it brings it full circle, really, because he was like, well... You know how hard cycling is. We watch all these races, uh, blah blah blah, um, and then I remember mulling it over, which really wasn't a mulling over. It was going out for a pizza with a few friends, and I, I just, um, I'd done an outreach event in London with a good friend of mine, uh, Ben Pritchard, and um, we. He said, "Would you ever do the cycling side of stuff?" And I said, "Well, for, I, I don't know. I mean, I would love to give it an opportunity because." I'm determined, I've got this kind of strength that I want to give the best and prove people wrong. And I wrote this email to Dan saying, um, yeah, I'm on board, Let, uh, let's uh, let's start the process. And then I copied my dad into it and then um, I got on the reply within 30 seconds, an email back from my dad saying, let's do this. So that was <laughs> like the full circle where he'd led, not said anything. He ne- knew I needed to make the decision. So in fact, I then... <laughs> handed in my resignation uh, from my quantity surveying job and um, I'd only been doing it sort of a month or so, so uh, not too long and I'd not stopped training because obviously um, the Commonwealth Games cycle was just beginning, but it was trying to figure out how I could be a full-time athlete and still work and have enough time in the day to swim, bike and run. So uh, dad came over, picked up all my stuff and we went home and then sort of a a week later I was on the bike full-time 1st of January 2016. It all
0: seemed to have happened so quickly. Yeah, it's mental. What did they say at your
2: workplace when you resigned after months <laughs> to become a They were like a cyclist? What? I think they were, first, first of all, I remember the, my boss sitting down taking some notes. So why are you leaving? I told him and I explained the situation. I think he was a bit gobsmacked because he'd watch me in my placement year, like spend all the time going swimming, going running. I mean, I used to go to the pool at 5am, then go straight to work and then go to work and then go straight to sort of Gateshead Harriers and run the track in the evening. So I was burning the candle at both ends and he appreciated that hard work and that dedication. And then when he realized that I'm actually not going to one of his competitors, he realized that, okay, let's, we need to support you here. And, um, a few of the guys in the office were cyclists anyway so i had a big support and i can't thank uh, that team enough you know they were they were really really sort of brought me on as as a as a human being as a person the the 18 months in total i spent working for them was uh, some of the, the best times and and they allowed me to continue to develop me as a person and as a sportsman and then how long were you on the Devo team for so I started on the Devo team 1st of January uh, 2016, moved out to Atlanta or to Athens um, sort of end of April, and then um, I stayed for the pro team the following summer. So I was on the development team 18 months. Um, mm-hmm. Mid-17 I moved and uh, did my first race as a pro in end of July, start of August 2017. Can you remember that race? Yeah, it's well, of course. <laughs> I remember everything, you know. So, yeah, um, I did... Um, the first year learning the trade, then, uh, heading into the start of the second year, a lot more racing, uh, in the UCI level. And then went to, uh, back home and the British championships was actually in the Isle of Man. Um, so I remember getting an email through like four days before the British Champ saying, we're going to stage you at tour of uh, Utah. And I was like, unbelievable. Like, okay, let's do this. Uh, uh so I went to tour of Utah onto Colorado classic directly. And then uh, from there I did Tour of China 1 and 2 and then Tour of Hainan to finish the season. So I had a big chunk of race days with the pro team. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, at that point I was told I was the most successful uh, stagiaire at that point. Not that it, it really matters, but it was something that gave me the knowledge that I was doing the right thing as opposed to what, what the title was and not that it was anything, but it meant that I knew that everything I decided and everything I'd done in this whole journey was worth every single sort of blood, sweat and tear that I'd done to get there. It just shows that I made the right decision and that's something that I'm forever grateful for. In that, let's
0: call it six month period of racing with the pro team for the first time, did you know you were successful? Did you feel like you were doing well or how did you experience it?
2: I felt I was doing well, but I felt I had a point to prove. I still felt I was the triathlete. Maybe that was just to myself, um, and if it was, it didn't really matter. I felt that I was doing well. The feedback I was getting was really well, um, and a lot of the guys I was on the elite team with, they were American based, and they were out in sort of Colorado and Utah, and they were there to support. So there were some hilly races. Yeah, yeah, some very hilly races. So I remember the the first, you know, it came as a bit of a shock to A, maybe everybody else that I was going to be in this race, and you know, I kind of just like put my. Sambrand stubbornness on and just went full gas for it. And just like, when it got hard, just grit my teeth and just pushing through. And it was a really tough race. It was probably one of the hardest, especially with altitude. I mean, um, it was difficult, but um, when I realized everything that I've done in every race I've been in is an absolute pleasure. It's not a chore. I'm so grateful for all of these opportunities. And that's something that I, I need to pinch myself. I'm still realizing that I'm living the dream. I'm still working, I'm still wanting to be a better athlete, a better person, but I realise that these don't come along too often, you know, in these opportunities, and that's something that I always say thank you for. I'm always thankful to everybody who supported me because um, it would be easy to to push me back, to hold me back, or to say, oh, not yet, Sam, but people have always sort of... Maybe it's the, the vibe I give off, but they, they want to support and they want to help, and that's something that I, I'm constantly trying to pay back for so and uh, it does help
0: and where does that awareness of being grateful come from because being a pro cyclist you're on the road all the time i mean you're racing tour of turkey it's it's eight days of racing that's let's call it 10 days away from home you know sometimes you have three or four days at home you hit the road for another tour so you're just you're living out of a suitcase the race can go well it can go badly you know you can do it can be hard or you can find your way but you seem to be aware that no matter what you're going through keep perspective on the bigger picture in terms of this is a moment in my life let me appreciate it i don't know what's going to happen after this chapter in my career where does that awareness come from
2: yeah i don't think i've unpacked a suitcase since 2016 and my mom would agree and she'd probably say it's laziness but for me it's efficiency (laughs) um but uh it's just a, a realization that there's You can only relate to yourself, you can only relate to the situation you're in. And I know a lot of people have it harder, and I know a lot of people in different circumstances, but in my reality, um, I realise that I do a lot of the, I do all the work pushing the pedals around, but for me to get on the bike every day, there comes a lot of steps to get me there. And probably 99% of them aren't through me, it's through the coaches, through our fantastic team, team Nobody Notice, through my family, through my parents, all that support. I couldn't do this without that team and and team is very it sounds very sort of isolated to just the team of the people that people see but behind that team is a whole team and that's your diabetes support network your family as i say your friends everyone who keeps you on the bike every day and that's something that i want other people and especially the diabetes community to learn from and to realize that if i didn't have this commitment to the diabetes community it might be a totally different story now it's given me something extra you know i mean going back to the talks uh don't want to waffle but going back to the talks so that i get to give to some fantastic uh youngsters and to their parents and i mean i can relate to a lot of different people and i think that helps me because i'm always saying that this is to parents and they're asking like sam what about this one but i said listen like i had a a young cousin diagnosed with type 1 diabetes a similar age to i was when she was diagnosed and um so she was diagnosed at almost 10, I think, maybe nine at the time. And uh, she was actually diagnosed and the Alamana doesn't live there. And she, My, I remember my auntie called me when I was at university and explained the situation. I said, listen, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And people are shocked. People are like taken aback by that. And I say that in the best way because I've been given sort of a community a family uh, a team a purpose to do what I do and that purpose is a level of commitment that a lot of people don't have I mean I learned stuff about myself pretty early on that has stood me in good stead it gave me a routine and then that routine sort of is something that I had at 14 15 16 that people in their 30s didn't have so mm-hmm. I was fortunate in that He's way
0: fortunate to mature and grow yeah
2: quickly exactly so I would say that that's the benefit. Okay, not every day is linear and it's all straightforward like that, but that's the way I look at it. And I wasn't given that immediately, you know, that didn't, that took its while to come around. It. I was sort of, why me for a lot of the time? But then I realized that it doesn't go anywhere, you know, it doesn't help to be sort of backwards in it. So I sort of wanted to be proactive and as forward as I can with it. And that's something that I have to be grateful for. And no matter what, that is something that's instilled me as a person to what I do today every day. And that's the sort of, I do um, some work with a a guy at home who's taught me sort of, I feel that every day I'm motivated, whether that is the label motivation is correct? I don't know, but these this these two things he talks about is like one is motivation. He says that comes and goes. That's not always going to be the same.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Surely you can't be motivated every single day. Some days you <laughs> must wake up and be like, I don't feel like this today. But
2: I feel motivated. But that's where it might not actually be motivation. But so I I said to him, but I'm motivated every day. He says well, put it like this, um, your motivation might come and go. It might be lower some days, but. Your commitment is what gets you out of bed every day, not the motivation. So it's something that I, okay, maybe I don't quite agree with because I feel always motivated. But the days that I'm not quite motivated, I'm committed. I'm being committed to the diabetes community and to wanting to change the world for everyone affected by diabetes. That commitment gets me out of bed Mm -hmm. in the morning no matter how I feel. If I feel rubbish, I'm committed to these community, to these fantastic people that we support and that mean the world to me and to do that every day, to share this platform because as a professional athlete, I feel it's my responsibility and my want to push on to support everybody else. So through what I do, I want to use the platform. I don't want to finish my career and then think I could have done more to support them. I want to use it right now. And that support is something that I guess I wanted, as I said before, and that's something that I feel that I can give back now. Because it feels live, you know, it feels current, it feels the right thing to do and that's mm-hmm. something that um, I take a lot of energy, a lot of power from these fantastic people and I want to share that power with them and share that they can embrace it and something that they can push on with.
0: You're also living in a good age where there's social media, there's connectivity, it's so, people are so accessible. I mean, you mentioned when you were 10 and when you were diagnosed, you know, access to information was maybe a little harder yeah. to come by. So that must be good to be able to connect with people with that purpose and commitment that you have. Oh,
2: 100%. It's so nice to be able to sort of be accessible to to everybody. I mean, obviously, through social media, it's sometimes difficult because you live your life in an alternative reality so almost then it's kind of it's a bit surreal especially when you're on the road you like, we're in turkey now and you don't have like 4g you know so everybody's like you have to wait to the hotel to get your messages and then it's difficult because you've got massage recovery and trying not to be on the phone too much but um i do try and get around in terms of support to people who ask for it and to people who can help and even if that's a case of replying and saying you know listen we're here um, it doesn't have to be something too much or just a little bit as a lot, you know, I said, uh, again, to Phil Sutherland, I said, and I did a video for Nova Nordisk and it was basically around the principle that it takes 30 seconds to change someone's life and the rings true. And it's something that I'm brought back to every time to remind myself, I said it because I can give a talk or a post a video on social media and that 30 seconds can be to a young boy or a young girl with. Newly diagnosed, who don't really know what's going on, to um, sort of a mid teenager who's having a, a struggle, a struggle time. Someone in their twenties who doesn't fully understand where they're going next. That thirty seconds can be making them smile. It can be getting them to test their blood sugar once more a day. Something positive, and that positive thirty seconds. You might not have realized you've done it, but you've helped change someone's perspective mm-hmm. for a positive way. And at the time, it might not feel like it, but to them. It could be their change in life. It could be their change in circumstance. And that's something that is extremely powerful.
0: No, that is. I mean, just through the team, some of the messages we've received recently, you know, one was um, a guy in America who's a school teacher. He's got a family. He's uh, quite a high level amateur cyclist, enjoys his cycling and he got diagnosed. I think he was in his thirties. And immediately he saw you guys talking in the team show about what's possible, you know, and within, I mean, half a day of being diagnosed he had hope again which is fantastic another story just comes to mind recently was a pilot who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and they grounded him for a while because he had to go through all of these tests and everything and he was used the team as a case study to say look at this it's possible and got his his certificate to fly again yeah what yeah what you guys are doing is incredible that's insane i love that
2: i mean it's all a a case of with in an age where we might be the first person or the first people the first community to do something doesn't mean it's impossible they might say it's impossible because it's easier to limit people as again another talk i do it's just like limitations are something that's supposed to keep us into a user-defined box which is rubbish basically because uh it's all the way going through school i mean um When I had diabetes through school, there was a lot of bullies because of that ignorance that I talked about before, but also that bullying is a way to limit your potential, and I never wanted my potential to be limited, and nobody has the right to limit that, apart from me. If I don't want to do something, that's fine, and I'm always probably the first person to to stop myself if I don't want to do something, really, you know, it tends to be chores, but... And am your suitcase. Yeah, I'm unpacking my suitcase, <laughs> but that, that's essential, I guess. But um, living in this sort of box where people get to label you is is incorrect. And that's what I say to people. say, if if you want to limit yourself, that's fine, but nobody else has that um, ability or should have that ability to put that on you. So don't allow other people to put that. So, and I guess in the time, it's not always easy, but just when that, if that reality rings true for a lot of people, then you have to realize or... You have this power to say no it's my life i'm going to choose the box that i want to sit in and that's something that um i never wanted diabetes to become a label of negativity always a label of positivity well oh.
0: i don't think we could leave it on a better note man that's amazing thank you thanks for your commitment and your motivation whether it's not always there or is there you have <laughs> commitments and you're committed to this purpose so thanks for everything yeah. you do sam 100
2: percent. thank you very much zace
0: well, that was Sam Brand in a nutshell. Tim, you've worked closely with Sam um, for a number of years now. Great guy to work
1: with, isn't he? Yeah, he's one of the most proactive guys on the team. He, he, he gets it, uh, the racing side of it and also away from racing. And the demands of being a professional athlete in a, in a digital age, he's really switched on with that. And I think what Sam's achieved, coming from a triathlon background, um, you know, going through the whole talent ID process, going through diagnosis, On World Diabetes Day, very serendipitous, he's got a lot, almost destiny really, that he became into contact with the team, moving through the Devo team very quickly into the pros. He's got a lot of power, but he doesn't come from a cycling background. And I think he's one of the most impressive things about him is that he's really developed over the years within the pro peloton. And that must be a hard thing to do, Um, you know, day in, day out. And to see him now, 31, one of the older guys in the team helping young guys come through, And still retaining his role as one of the reliable domestiques of the team and willing to sacrifice himself uh, for the greater good and the bigger results is, um, you know, it's just another positive thing to add about Sam.
0: That's actually a really, really good insight. I should just interview you sometime on the guys and your perception on the guys. That's really good insight, man. So yeah, that's uh, that's another episode done and dust that obviously Team Nova Nordis is the world's first all-diabetes cycling team. we race to inspire, empower, and educate all those affected by diabetes. Make sure to follow us on social media. We're on all the channels. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and um, Twitter. So please do find us and also visit us on our website teamnovonordis.com we've got a talent id camp coming up later in the year if you'd like to get involved in the team if you've got a, a child that'd like to get involved in the team teamnovonordis.com is the place for all things tim thank you so much for joining us today again
1: and good luck in greece we hope you guys smash it out at the tour of the Hillas. thank you very much zylan and as you mentioned get out there and follow us especially on that tiktok that new tiktok channel which is blowing up at the moment